Welcome to Missing Artwork, a show that lets artists behind your favorite album art tell their story and experience in making the iconic image of the music you love. I'm your host, Michael Paul Escanuelas, and today we're talking to Kevin Duquette, co-founder and creative director behind Top Shelf Records. Now, normally on this show, we cover album artwork. We talk to an artist to get their perspective on a single piece and explore how it was made. We are hunters of good art, but every so often, we look beyond the 12 by 12 album art to see the bigger picture. For every great artwork, there's a group behind it supporting that piece. To be honest, this episode is very meta for us. So for this topic, we wanted to explore the creative process of art behind a music label. Of course, just like many of the artists we've had featured on this show, every label does things a little differently. Immediately, Top Shelf Records was a label that came to mind when we approached this idea. Established in 2005, Top Shelf was founded by Seth Dakota and Kevin Duquette. Inspired by labels like Polyvinyl, Jade Tree, and Epitaph, Top Shelf was founded as a way for Dakota and Duquette to not only legitimize their own music, but also highlight a lot of the local bands developing around them. For over 10 years, Top Shelf has made a name for itself, pushing the genres of indie and punk rock. The label has found success with bands like Sorority Noise, You Blew It, and The World is a Beautiful Place and I Am No Longer Afraid to Die. In this episode, Duquette goes over the label's creative beginnings details the process of branding the label, and discusses how the label works with both musicians and artwork artists. Uh, my name's Kevin Duquette. I started Top Shelf Records with my friend Seth Dakota in 2005-ish. The first time we met, we just like started a record label that day. <laughs> if I recall correctly, we were just like, yeah, this, we, we just started talking and went off this tangent because we were just excited about what we were both doing. We just turned 11 as a label last month. I'm gonna ramble a lot, I'm sorry. <laughs> During the label's infancy, the look and feel of Top Shelf Records was not the priority for Dakota and Duquette. And I feel like most people that find themselves running a label didn't necessarily seek that as a job or a profession or what, what have you. Cause you know, there's varying people, some people just doing it in their basement and it's a hobby. Some people like it is, you know, they have a staff of like 20 people and you know, you know there's the whole spectrum of that. But like, I feel like the majority of those people didn't set out one day like, oh, I want to run a record label. Everyone that I know that, that does it, just it's sort of happenstance and, and their background sort of steered them in that way. And that's no different for me, I guess, too. I have like a, a graphic design background. You know, I've worked for uh, as a front-end web developer and a, a and a designer for print and pre-press stuff to to you know like full-on web development stuff. But yeah, my my background's just um, I kind of stumbled into web development via graphic design courses in college, and I was always kind of interested in art and painting and stuff. So yeah, it just sort of happened naturally. Duquette's background in school played both a savior and inconvenience to the process of getting Top Shelf Records off the ground. School, not so much. I, I definitely sucked at being in, like a school person, uh, <laughs> a student. <laughs> I, I just like would not go to classes for several, sometimes weeks, and then I would just like bop back in like nothing happened because I'm an idiot. I just cared way more about the label and you know, things kept like pushing each other. So like school wasn't, school was just like this thing that bought me time. 
where I didn't like need a formal job or worry about paychecks and stuff. It was classic, just like, oh no, what am I doing? I'm paying all this money and I'm not really doing anything with it. But like, I'd be up at 4 a.m. trying to figure out this bug on our website because I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm, but I was accidentally teaching myself, you know, how to code a website for a record label. And, and all of a sudden, like these, I don't know, you, you'd find yourself just like teaching yourself or, and not going to class, but like learning more at 4 a.m. because you wanted to do things right for a record label. So it wasn't like school pushing me. It was more like the label pushing my design and development shops. And then my design and development shops getting better because I had to keep making these things for the label, like a, a tour landing page or like back then it was like my code of MySpace banner header thing. Or, you know, it was just all these things. It was like, hmm, I got to learn how to do this. To circle back, like I, I feel like that's how a lot of other record label people or music people in general, you know, kind of stumble into it. The music industry is an ever-evolving beast, especially in the world of smaller independent labels. Top Shelf, of course, was not immune to these changes. It's weird to think back, like, because, you know, we've been doing it over a decade now. The way you did things, you know, even four or five years ago, never mind, like, seven or eight, are just entirely different now. Like, I used to design these intricate, flashy one-sheets for our bands, and it would be, like, custom art for each record. And now I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, a resounding fuck, it's such a waste of time. So it's like, no, I'm just going to, like... I don't know, it, and it kind of goes to something I was hoping we would talk about, or I assume we would, um, more of like a curated approach to artwork in general, but it's developing like a sort of, I don't like using the word brand, but like sort of, you know, creating a, a you look at something, you go, oh, that's top shelf. You know, I want a, uh, I wanted to develop like a, a long form aesthetic where it's a, uh, you know, you can look at something and go, oh, cool, but, you know, that's probably that, and lo and behold, it is, because... You know, there, uh, there's been, like, thought put into that. And that's not, like, something that happens overnight. You kind of, over the course of a decade, find out what you're about and kind of go from there. You know, it's always been print stuff. And then just increasingly, there's there's more digital, a lot more advertisements now than, you know, we didn't used to advertise in magazines and stuff. And now we're doing that more and less. I don't know. It's, it's, it's always like a give and take. I think I've just, we've got it like streamlined and social media is like in a weird perplexing way, like easier now. They're like, if you want to reach your people, you, I feel, I feel like I, we know how to do it. We know it. I mean, there's a lot of people that complain about like my Facebook doesn't reach anyone or whatever. And it's like, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, where the audiences you want to talk to are. And so like, I don't have to like make these like flashy banner images or like code up a MySpace or do all kinds. I'm just like, here's a tweet, what we're doing. And you know, if this is inherently good, then hopefully people will share it. It's more of like a, I don't know, with time, it's like easier now. At the beginning, Top Shelf's logo was not something that was high in priority for the label. Started out as not so great because <laughs> uh, because uh, when you start anything, like most band names suck, most names for anything suck. There's no such thing as like original thought. So you're just like, oh, there was already like three top shelf records, you know, record stores and other labels and just, but none of them were like doing anything or had already gone up or gone under rather. And so we were sort of like, we felt like we were okay taking the name and whatever. I remember we had put out like four or five releases and we still had this like sketch of a logo and we were like, dude, we put it on five releases already. Like, I guess that's our logo now. And it, so early on, it was just sort of like very by the seat of our pants and like almost no pension, attention was paid to that. You know, it was fun. It was just like a fun hobby thing that we were doing. And so there wasn't necessarily this 
focus because at the time it didn't feel like, oh, this is a thing that we're going to turn into a bigger thing and this is going to be what we do for a living after a while. And like we're going to be working with and helping support and grow like all this larger community of people. And wow, this is going to be so dope. No one was thinking that back then. So the branding just was like, what do I like? Uh, <laughs> and um, and the, it's sort of an, a visual extension of like what your sonic, what you're putting out there sonically matters. So what you're putting out there visually and pairing with it uh, is just as important. I mean, if if this podcast alone, you know, tells that. As the label evolved, many elements began to influence Duquette's design and leadership. Because of this, the label's style and production methods went through many changes. It was definitely not like a conscious thing that I could pin it down to. It was just sort of one day me going like, I don't like this shirt. I want to make a shirt that I like. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and that's like, it's down to the, you ask yourself like ethical questions about where you're manufacturing things from and, you know, what was the, the labor used for it or what have you. You know, it was everything down to like decisions like that. You, I, you just start like thinking about more and going, oh, why the fuck am I doing this when I should be doing this? And that's sort of just like no definitive moment, just like slowly realizing I don't like the way this hoodie looks and I wouldn't wear this. So yeah, just a gradual thing. With so many moving parts to Top Shelf, the logo originally started as a placeholder, but soon became an official piece of the label's history. I made that in Photoshop and it was like meant to be a sketch of something that I would flesh out more. And then that just never happened. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, you'll notice there's a couple word or letters that are, uh, uh, you know, redundant in, in top shelf records. They're the same, you know, like it's, it's an actual font. Uh, and I, it's like a free font from somewhere. I can't, I don't remember the name of it or anything and I still can't find it. So if anyone listening happens to know, it'd be kind of hilarious to, to get that again. But apparently that's a font I had in Photoshop in college. Uh, I just threw it in there and looking back at it, I was like, God, that's hideous. And so I actually recently kind of like just switched it up. I don't know, something I think is like a little more playful and it's just like my own handwriting in a sketchbook and I liked the way it turned out. So I scanned it and I was like, fuck it, this is the, the, the logo now, I'm just changing it. How other labels and brands handled their logo heavily influenced Duquette's desire to evolve the label's look and feel. No Sleep was a label that was doing this very well. I'm trying to think of anyone else that, I know Run For Cover also kind of has done this. You know, just different variations on a on a logo, and I I've always liked that. I like that Apple has you know major brands have you can trace this evolution. Like GE is another good one, and you you just like trace the evolution, and it's super interesting to watch it modernize or but you know like change with times and taste. So this is probably a reflection of that because anything I was into in graphic design in two thousand eight or so, I was probably. I mean, I'm, I was into a lot of the same things, but like the work or anything that I would actively create, I like want to barf at right now. <laughs> it's also, and so, you know, just taste change, but also your eye, like how you see things and what looks good to you changes as well. Like trends dictate like what that, where that spectrum lies, but like on a personal level too, like that's, you're kind of seeing like, oh, I at one point thought that was good and I really don't now. <laughs> I mean, there's just like some labels that have always had the same logo and which I totally can respect. Uh, but there's some, some of them you look at it and you're like, that label kind of looks like shit. <laughs> and uh, that's how I was feeling about my own. So, I was, you know, 
when that hideous Gap logo came out, like there's a, a statement about like, you know, we chose this because this and uh, um, I don't have anything like that for the new thing that we unveiled. It just sort of felt natural and good and right. So I was like, cool, I'm going with that. Recalling the first time the newer logo concept began to surface, a simple sketch helped shape the design. No, I just doodle in uh, my sketchbook. Like I have a, you know, like a bunch of little notebooks and I have too many now. I'm starting to forget what ideas and things I've written and which ones. And yeah, it was just one of those. It was just drawing our, hand drawing our logo over a bunch and a bunch and a bunch for... Yeah, yeah, no, the hats were the first thing that had it, um, actually, because I had this idea. We wanted, we had to make like a tag and it was, there were, we were doing like a stitching and the old logo really didn't lend itself to being very legible with the stitching that we had planned. So that's what, yeah, that's what initially spurred me hand drawing this logo. That's what I was doing these for. So, and then when I scanned them all in, thickened up some of the lines and, uh, and some of the strokes. And when we got them back, it was like, oh, okay, this is a much more like legible, uh, uh, like all the letter forms were individually legible. So that's what prompted it to begin with. And yeah, that was the first place we kind of like unveiled that. Uh, but then we were like, whoa, I really like this. And these hats are kind of selling well. People seem like, you know, that kind of, you, you, you vibe off that a little. It's never easy for any brand to redesign their logo, but a soft rollout helped Top Shelf ease listeners into the new branding. There wasn't honestly a lot of anything. If we had just, you know, overnight changed all our socials and like changed, a, just made a big sort of like pivot with it, like maybe people would have said stuff. But I like casually was just like, oh, I'm going to change the Twitter logo for our page. And then like a month later, like the, the website still has the old one because I haven't gotten around to doing it everywhere. So I think that's kind of why, because it's just sort of, it was like the softest rollout of this ever. And it's like, like and I say, I mean, it's still happening, so still, I guess, sticking to our roots of like not being dope at, <laughs> at the branding thing because there's not a lot of consistency right now with it. But, you know, I'm I'm switching it over everywhere. Um, so I think that's kind of why I contributed to, you know, I had a few people mention on more immediate social media things like uh, Twitter. I, I would take no one saying anything as like an overall good thing. Top Shelf has always been a unique label when compared to its peers. The color palette and website design for the label is a clear example of this. Again, like, a, what do I like? You know, this is, the music we choose is an extension of our music tastes. And, you know, the behind any sort of, like, brand or whatever, there's, some, you know, a, a set of individuals or an individual. And that's, like, really just indicative and reflective of their personal tastes, you know? And so... That's just the same thing here. It was like those colors, just for some reason, I was they were popping to me for a while when I was doing the site redesign in 2013. Before that, like the old site, I feel like things have gone like more and more busy to less busy. We used to have this like sort of collage all over the place, spastic aesthetic. And it was a lot of like doodles and, you know, it was like opening somebody's notebook. But it, the web, since it was all like all background images, uh, our website loaded so fucking slow. When I was coding it up, like I just, I don't know, I was like exploring color palettes and that one just, I kept coming back to. You know, I try and do that like in our merch designs and stuff as well. Like kind of just incorporate that palette like into, from a digital space into a physical space as well with our like label samplers and everything. Like really anything 
that I build from or, or put out there from like a label perspective, I, I tend to stick within like loosely around that. I need to make like a brand guideline thing or something. There's a proper name for that. I'm blanking out on it because we work with so many different designers on, you know, each release is it's kind of its own island. And sometimes you're working with uh, air quoting designer who's like band's friend. And there's a lot of, you know, work on my end where more so than usual. And sometimes you're, you're working with like the most professional designer and like you get everything, all your tight your text is outlined and like everything's just a dream so uh it's it's the full spectrum of like people you're working with and it's sort of like i get things back a lot that are kind of all over the place using a clean white and mint green palette top shelf sticks out from the rest of the indie punk rock labels by associating itself with a brighter cleaner aesthetic i was mindful of that as it was happening because it felt like stepping out of line kind of Especially like when I was designing it, you know, I was looking at other labels' websites, especially when it's like labels that you see as peers, labels that you see as maybe where you'd like to be kind of thing, or just labels that you grew up, you know, listening to their rosters or whatever. And it's sort of like looking to them for inspiration, but also seeing what people you feel what they're doing wrong or poorly and letting that influence your decisions. And also what obviously people are like excelling at and then just kind of realizing whoa this is at the time in 2013 when i was doing building this everything felt like kind of samesy and like not copycat but kind of cookie cutter and like yeah like you said there was you're seeing a lot of the same color palette and i'm sort of like okay i, I don't need that and at the time i remember like looking around and we were for sure like easily one of the first record labels to have a responsive like a fully responsive website which i'm like totally cheating my own horn here but i was super fucking psyched on that at the time uh, <laughs> i started coding it on new year's day in 2013 and we launched it on like black friday that same year so it took me like the almost a year to do all that work yeah it fucking was a all hands on deck thing because we had to like populate the site with all the you know 100 something releases at the time and then uh you got to put in all your like inventory and transfer all the, you don't think about all the it's like oh you build this site but no it's hollow you got to fill it with all this with all your with all your fucking junk <laughs> when it comes to artwork top shelf fully encourages its artists to pursue their art direction i have not once ever told a band no on like an album cover like on any i i don't feel it's my place even though i have opinions for sure on like all art and i mean everyone does but i'm not gonna tell someone else like oh you should add another chorus here to your song because i'm not a fucking songwriter i'm not in your band i'm not i you know i i don't feel it's my place to do that and i know like uh, that's not something that like everyone practices but i i like to stay as like a guiding hand on the side but not there to help and offer opinions if asked but i'm not I've never told anyone like, no, you can't have this in the artwork or no, this can't. If I have, it's been like, because there's a constraint of the physical media, like, no, we can't do that because you like physically can't do that. But, uh, you know, I've never been like, sorry, that's not going to happen because I don't like that. It's it's always been like a pricing, like, cool, dude, I want that like die cut gatefold as well. But like, no. <laughs> so, you know, it's just been like things like that, like con budget constraints or like, constraints of the physical media but you know that every release is its own thing where you're working with different individuals every time 
Um, sometimes I just get like handed a photo and uh, it's like, and I have to do everything. And so like, there's a lot of like every 15 or so releases in our catalog, there's like one that just, I did all the artwork for. Sometimes it ends up like something I like really, really like. And sometimes it's like, I don't know, like anything else you look back at it and you're like, okay, moving along. <laughs> when asked what were some of his favorite pieces to come out of Top Shelf, Duquette landed on both the label's reissues and recent releases. All of Toe's stuff is especially iconic and they just have a fantastic design sense in general. But a lot of that is, you know, up until the, the, the newest record we did with them, Hear You, um, all of that was pre, you know, they had released it previously and we were doing like reissues and, and, um, and putting it on vinyl for the first time or whatever. So there wasn't a lot of like, I mean, it was exciting to me to be able to like, I'm like, oh, I'm working in, I'm sure it's like the same as like if you're an audio engineer and you're like going through the master, uh, you know, the stems of like this great work that you like. I was like, wow, I'm in the design files for, you know, this record that I love. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's like, so I get to like lay this out and put this, you know, into like a, a vinyl format, like the pending band approval like I'm the one doing all this it's pretty cool and you know so for for a lot of that it's sort of like a you take some it's some of your own taste I guess inherently creeps in but you're trying to adhere to what was already there laid out for you it's it's really cool when you get like some album art that you know it's like sent to you in an email and you unzip it and you open it and you see it for the first time and you're like fuck yeah uh, <laughs> and so like I really like the Frameworks Loom artwork that we got. Um, that's by um, a friend of mine, this designer, Matt Lewicki. He's really, really good. And we kept that same sort of like treatment for other records as well, because it was just so, like, again, like really simple, but really, really kind of just like, I don't know. It, 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 it matched like the aesthetic of the band and everything at the time. Oftentimes, a music label will curate artists to design merch, album art, or promotional materials. Top Shelf uses a communal process to pick artists, pulling from the tastes of the label's team and roster. That's a process that's sort of collective, like everyone in the office has people that they like, or and, and then there's also from an individual, like a roster level, there's bands that we work with that have their people or like have a wish list of who they'd wish to work with. You know, everyone has like their dream engineer or producer that they'd like to work their rec work on their record. Same thing with like, you know, an artist that, that you'd like to represent you visually. So I have that too, you know, there's people that are, uh, we're working with an artist, um, this illustrator, Anna Craig, and I've just followed her style or followed her for a couple of years now. And I just love her style. It's very whimsical. She breathes a lot of life into characters pretty effortlessly and I, I like that and her colors are always great so it's just like uh I, I'm gonna hit her up and just see if she wants to do something so we're having her do like a merch design for us right now and I want to get more into that we've always uh, we've worked a lot with uh Ben Sears who I think his work is fantastic my I have a fuck ton of Ben Sears prints like framed in throughout my house and it kind of looks like this Ben Shears shrine and if he ever came over he'd be super freaked out <laughs> but it, you know it's just sort of like artists that uh that you you like their their work on a on a personal level and you reach out and sometimes it's like 
oh, whoa, I can't afford that. And I get that, do you, obviously. Um, but, like, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out because um, good artists should be paid accordingly. When the stars align, like, I, we, we try and work with, like, a wide array of artists. And it's always a, a pleasure. The, the look and feel of, like, the label, I think, is one thing. And it's nice that that's static and uniform. But I wouldn't want anything like about our individual like records and albums that we're associated with to be to feel fixed or static in in their design. So I, I don't want to hold anything back, I guess. So when we're working on a like a release by release basis, it's just that it's a, on a release by release basis. Like everything's on its own island because it's a new team of individuals every time, just about. And that's kind of fun. You learn a lot from other people. You open up their files and you're like, whoa, I never thought to like organize those layers like that or use that kind of a filter. You get to like reverse engineer people's files and sometimes you see stuff and you're like, why the f okay, moving along. Yeah. <laughs> Again, there's sort of like you get work from all these different artists. You get to see how people even just like package their files, like when they zip something or, uh, you know, how they send over all these assets. And you're like, oh, wow, look at you. Like I'm stealing up all those ideas. And then you just become a, uh, because you're forced to collaborate every single time we do a new record like uh on like the art visual side i learned something like every time which is really tight it keeps you fresh when it comes to artwork looking at a variety of pieces through the lens of a label is no easy task top shelf is still a growing community the design and aesthetic of the label not only rely on duquette's talent as a designer but also the entire top shelf team its bands and the fans that keep the label alive as the music industry evolves and the music scene continues to grow, Top Shelf continues to align itself with a consistent dedication to the label's ever-evolving sound and aesthetic. Yeah, and it's right now it's just like, that's what I'm personally into right now. And so, who knows, we'll see where, you know, broader trends go, where my tastes go. Because, like, you know, I think, like, sonically, the label has changed over the years, too. And that's just, like there's no way I'm gonna have the same music taste as I did 11 years ago. It's just like, that's impossible. Missing Artwork is a collaboration of Chris Lantinen and myself, Michael Paul Escanuelos. We are part of the Modern Vinyl family of podcasts, which represents other great shows like Pilot Study and Vinyl Crawl. Check out modern-vinyl.com to see the latest vinyl news, features, and to find out more information about our podcast family. Thank you to Mark Redito for our theme music, and of course, thank you to Kevin Duquette for talking with us. You can see more of his work at topshelfrecords.com. We are still in our podcast infancy, so please go and subscribe to our show on iTunes or whatever podcast service you favor, and leave a review telling us how much you love us and the show. Then, go share us with your friends. We're always on the hunt for new listeners. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Missing Artwork or at Modern Vinyl. Thank you for listening.
Just my phone.